You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. podcast i'm your host doc coil thank you guys for checking out the show it is always appreciated um i don't have any band news or music news or anything like that to intro the show but i kind of wanted to you know talk about some current events if that's okay with you if if you don't want to hear about it you can just fast forward through this but sometimes there's certain subject matter that I feel needs addressing and I and I think I may or may not have no I'm going to say may. I may have opinions <laughs> that I don't I don't think are being echoed in other areas. So sometimes I think this is a good good time to use this platform. But a uh, pretty hot topic, something I think everyone is talking about in in kind of the world of of public discourse right now, especially in in, in America is this really big explosion of um, exposés regarding sexual harassment and uh, sexual assault, rape, pedophilia, go down the list, whether we're talking about Harvey Weinstein or this guy running for Senator Roy Moore in Alabama or stuff that really crosses over, I think, into the realm that affects normal people in the entertainment realm being uh, Kevin Spacey and Louis C.K. And I think that's, it's tough for us, you know, when things like this happen. Uh, because in many ways, when it comes to celebrity, we feel like we know these people. Um, and obviously, that's not true, right? It doesn't seem to really make a whole lot of sense that we actually know them, but it, it feels that way. So you, you know, I, I always say the, the kind of the key point of bias is that it tends to g- you give the benefit of the doubt. That's how your bias affects you. So if you like someone, I mean, obviously this represents itself in political realms, but even, you know, one would say you are you have a partisan uh, bias towards your friends and family, right? If they were accused of a crime, you would give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they didn't do it. So I think that kind of kind of creeps up, but. You know, uh, a lot of things that really strike me about, you know, the situation, you know, I think particularly when it comes to the the Louis C.K. situation, which I think is is particularly unique in a lot of ways, um, because I think people like me 
forward thinking, you know, uh, progressive people or would, would like like to believe we think we have a certain kinship or that uh, Louis C.K. and his art and his comedy uh, is speaking to certain points that we, we connect with. So it feels particularly kind of betraying um, or not or betraying to the to the idea that, you know, and, and I think when you look at someone like him, the thing that's so different about it is his comedy is the kind of the, the defining factor of it is how quote unquote honest it is. And also how he puts himself as the kind of butt of the joke or at he's the, the weak one. And he's the, um, he's, you know, in, in a way this, this isn't that surprising that, uh, he would, he would be the type of person that would, you know, ask people to masturbate in front of them, ask women specifically. Um, and I, and I think it, listen, I think it's a messed up thing. Like, I don't think it's, it's cool. Um, but I, I, for, for me, I do not put it in the same category as, um, rape or sexual assault. Um, it's its own thing. And it's, it's, it's a kind of, um, it's a depraved act. I would say it's a, um, you know, I would say it's creepy and some, some aspect of it is perverted or perverse in it in a way, but I imagine for him, it's probably, um, something shameful, uh, something he's ashamed about. Um, and this is not to, and I, and I, I don't want people to think that I'm, uh, thwarting attention away from, from the victims or people who feel like they've been victimized. Cause it's not about that. Um, or it's not, that's not where I'm, I'm coming from because I think they're, experience and however that traumatized them is, is very valid. Um, that's something I've, I've noticed, you know, and, and, but there's some, one of my issues with it is how I personally feel like, uh, we kind of use famous people that get in trouble for whatever it is. And I think you could actually make an extension to even when some celebrities got caught cheating, like Tiger Woods a few years back is I think um, outspoken women get so angry, you know, and you see some of the anger towards like a Louis CK because in a sense that the, the famous person becomes a totem for their personal um, victimization because they have been uh, assaulted or harassed. And I get that. Um, but I think the, a big problem with that for me, though, is that in a way it's not really fair because there's people who are doing these acts and who are, who are hurting people who aren't famous. And these people don't get to be kind of uh, crucified in the, in the public square. They kind of carry on. Um, and so in some ways, I, I feel like sometimes because people are famous, they, they're the... Um, punishment in the court of public opinion is is outweighed mainly because they are famous and people feel like because someone else is victimized i am angry at them as if you were personally victimized and 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 i get it it's 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 this is a, a very emotional emotional thing um you know and i think another big problem with this too is you know i think it, it's dependent on what the crime is or the wrongdoing because some of these these things are wrong but they're not technically crime so you and you have to divide 
every infraction into what it is. But um, there's this idea that we want people to go away. We want them to be fired. We kind of like literally like someone screws up. You know, let's say Kevin Spacey, for example. You know, and Kevin Spacey apparently looks like he's done some really, really shitty things. Um, but we kind of, for some of these things, we we almost treat some of these these um, infractions like they should be um, a life sentence. And I don't know if I, I agree with that. Uh, because I, I don't think it actually, we say, hey, we want you to not work in this field. Um, we want you to stay away from anything public. Uh, and I imagine this just, hey, we're not going to invite them to the Oscars or the, the the cool cocktail parties. You know, it's it's this way of, of, of banishment. But the problem is it doesn't actually deal with the core issues you know i think this is the problem with many of the the biggest problems in our society is that we focus on symptoms and not the root cause and you know and i think the root cause really of this is the the male biology in a lot of ways and i know there's this big you know guy sentiments, you know, the, 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 I guess the phrase now is, is, is toxic masculinity. And I'm sure there's a bunch of guys listening to this right now, rolling their eyes. Um, because yes, that, that, that phrase probably gets overused, but at the core of it, there is something there. And most of the crimes are committed by men. Pretty much all of the, most of the murders, robberies, rapes um you know people say hey man you know more men get raped by than even women i'm like yeah by other guys in jail you know um and the truth is i think women have a have a difficult time actually understanding what it's like to be a guy you know between you know when you hit puberty and you're a young guy and you're kind of filled with all these chemicals in biology that tells you to do kind of crazy things. Um, and, and that's not an excuse, but it's important to understand that that civilization, right? And uh, all this stuff that kind of pretends that everything is cool and everything, oh, everyone's nice and everyone's polite, but your instincts are telling you to do a lot of fucked up things. All right. And, you know, and this reflects itself in our, in our culture, you know, I mean, I, I remember, you know, a bunch of movies when I, when I was a kid, it was basically all about getting laid or that was American pie or Porky's or last American virgin or the revenge of the nerds, you know, um, it's a reflection of, of what's going on with our physiology is, you, your body is telling you, get laid, have sex. There are tits, there are legs, there are butts. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's a reality, you know, and the, and how we deal with that, I think has to come to grips with some of the truths about what's going on with our, our bodies and our biology and our instincts. There are instincts that tell us, go have, I want to have sex with that woman. 
right? And but being civilized and being um, mature and being an adult says, oh, I'm going to tamp that down and and say that no, well, that's that's an urge, and I don't listen to that. But there's all but until we get to realize that 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 there are all kinds of things going on in our head that we need to actually be honest about, because the truth is we're just you know America does have a puritanical background. We are a very religious country. And so you have a big part of society that says, you know, and the, and the way conservative societies deal with this, where they talk about Christianity or even the, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Muslim countries is, you know, be modest, right? Cover up the women because the women are, are, are the ones getting the guy, getting, you know, it's their fault. You know, you know, you, you know it's like deny, deny, deny. And it's pretty much shown that when we deny our own humanity and, and kind of animalistic urges, it manifests itself in other ways, right? So that's why there are the priests go into the, the Catholic church and then rape boys or young or girls or whatever. They're, so if we deny our own sense of humanity and, and, and the animal within us, then it's going to show itself, you know? And, and guess what? And the, the sex and the violence go hand in hand that those same urges that make men want to grab a woman's boobs or something or do something really terrible is the same one that's that wants them to get in a cage and fight and go to war and kill people because that's what we've been doing you know the the phrase rape and pillage go hand in hand for a reason the idea of the male conqueror is in is in us you know, and, and that's civilization and, um, you know, that kind of the, the intellectual version of, of morality. Yes, we are evolving, but we're, but, but many men feel like they're losing that. And that's, and that's manifesting itself in a lot of other ways as well, you know? And I think, you know, my, my particular relationship with women is unique you know, because I'm not a, um, you know, I've, I've had my, my player years, you know, where I trust me, I was all about getting laid and meeting chicks and, and, and doing everything. Um, but you know, hopefully, you know, listen, maybe I can go back and ask women from my earlier times, you know, was I a womanizer, you know, but my, you know, my biggest, uh, sin was really cheating on girlfriends of mine, you know, when I was touring a lot when I was, when I was younger and, but I learned a lot about, um, my own frailty, right. That there was this thing saying, go hook up with chicks, even though I had a girlfriend, right. That's compartmentalization. That's a urge. And I remember being 25, 26, when your, your testosterone is full blaring that it, it takes over you you know, and it makes you do dumb things. It's like, that's, that is so powerful that it affects presidents, Bill Clinton, right? Like he had more to lose than anyone and he still messed up. So until we actually start dealing with that and teaching, teaching men to actually understand, um, and empathize with, with what women go through, um, you know, and it's, I think it's a lot, it's very hard for, for men to actually 
oftentimes see the totality of a hu- humanity of who just women are instead of uh, just seeing them as body parts or a conquest or, um, you know, that it's we, we don't deal with this stuff right in our culture. And and we're kind of roll. I think men are rolling around with a lot of ignorance um, and also a, a generally hyper masculine culture that tells us to to pursue certain things and, and behave in a certain way. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we're dealing with a lot of confusion. Um, and I've been lucky, you know, that I have really great relationships with women, um, in a healthy way. I've played in bands with a lot of women and, um, you know, and, and I don't know, there's that, that, you know, for me, what's always worked for me is I want the consent you know, what turns me on is when a woman likes me, you know, I don't get the whole, I want to force myself into a situation like that. That's completely, you know, very off to me. Um, and, and we have to figure out a way to, uh, to get to the source of, cause the thing is we want Louis CK to have these thoughts and then just ignore them. Or do we say, Hey, we want to get to the crux of that and say, how can we get people to not have these kind of shitty thoughts that, and the thing is sometimes it's okay to have shitty thoughts, but it's when that the shitty thought ends up hurting someone else that it becomes a big problem. Um, but, but yeah, so this is something that, you know, and this is probably my longest monologue I've, I've given, but this is a very, very big subject. And even though I, it's kind of at the a center of everything, almost in a lot of ways, the way race has kind of bubbled up and that became the main talking point and the main issue, like things that we thought we had figured out that we haven't totally deal, dealt with. And so this is the next thing. This is, this is definitely a chickens have come home to roost type of moment. Um, and it's not over. It's going to go on for, for a while and it's going to get ugly. And, but the truth is, you know, we're, <laughs> We're all connected, you know, everyone, men and women are connected in families and friends and, um, you know, but what I just hope is people, men and women can talk with each other and not just have a bunch of dudes get together and talk about how, man, these bitches, man, they don't understand what's going on. They're just, you know, these feminine, not whatever, or women getting together and just kind of, uh, letting their collective rage, which might be justified, but, um, getting the best of them and not seeing only looking at the punitive way to deal with it. Right. Like I want to punish, 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 because the thing about punishment is it doesn't always solve the problem. we see this with, with our justice system is that yes, we can treat the criminals really badly, but it doesn't stop the crime. Oftentimes it just kind of exacerbates and tamps and ignores the, the root cause. So, and one kind of last point, and I, I did talked a little bit about this on Twitter, you know, also kind of relating to the to Louis CK situation where he put out an apology. I know some people say, well, he didn't use the word sorry or, or apologize. Um, but I, it's it, the wording of it felt like an apology to me. And he admitted it. He admitted what he, what he did. And pretty much most people still came down on him pretty hard. 
And I get it if you feel like it wasn't worded properly or if he, maybe he wasn't sorry enough. But the truth is, people like Bill O'Reilly, Roy Moore, uh, Donald Trump, or hell, even Bill Clinton have not uh, admitted what they've done or apologized. And if we sh- if we come down super, super hard on those that actually do admit it or who have apologized, um, that doesn't incentivize people to actually be sorry or to, to admit what they've done because they know that, hey, I'm just going to get shit on anyway. Why even admit it? And the truth is, if you don't admit it and you just carry on, more likely you can keep your job or you can get elected. Um so I think we have to have a little more compassion for those. Cause guess what? When you, when you fuck up bad, yeah, you, you pretty much, <laughs> you hold on to, to the last minute until you're caught red handed with your hand in the cookie jar. Yeah. People generally don't come out with the, with the truth. That's not how the human brain works. Um, so let's, uh, I don't know. Just, just, just my thoughts on the matter. That's my spiel. Um, hope, you know, I know something like this can touch a lot of nerves, uh, because it is very personal for, for people and, uh, people close to me, I know have, uh, suffered trauma. So, you know, I, um, hopefully I, I could express these things in a way that are hopefully, um, you know, inclusive, but trying to be honest, you know, as much as I can. So. With all that said, going to change the pace here and the tone and talk about a new advertisement. So I want to tell all you guys about a brand new sponsor for the X-Man show. And this is a company I'm pretty sure all of you have used or at least heard of. And of course, I'm talking about Rockabilia and their website, rockabilia.com. They've been around for 30 years and they have the largest selection of music merchandise in the world. And I'm talking about pretty much almost every guest I've had on here that's been in a band, whether it's my old band, God Forbid, Bleeding Through, Suicide Silence, Darkest Hour, their stuff is available on rockabilia.com. And I even saw, I looked on there, I found some rare posters, you know, show posters, things like that, you know, stuff you really just can't get um, in a lot of places. And one thing you have to remember there's a lot of the merch out there, like on Amazon, and maybe that's advertised to you on Facebook, is bootleg stuff. It's made, you know, cheaply made in China. And, you know, if you're supporting Rockabilia, you really are supporting the artists. So I would definitely hide. And guess what? They have stuff, not just band stuff and metal stuff. They have even the X-Men, the actual X-Men, the comic book merchandise. They have that stuff there too. So they have everything, whether it's music stuff, whether it's movies, TV shows you like, pop culture. They have pretty much everything. So enjoy the new sponsor for the X-Men, Rockabilia, and check out their website, www.rockabilia.com. And without further preamble, please check out this conversation with my friend, the amazing drummer of Amazing Bands, Winds of Plague and Prong, Mr. Art Cruz. So, Mr. Art Cruz. Doc Coyle. Is that short for Arthur or Arturo or <laughs> Art? Am I saying that right? 
Everybody assumes that I'm an Arturo. I didn't assume anything. I just, you it's know. Mangan thing. Jose Mangan just, Arturo, oh, my God. It's like. He's going right for it. He's, <laughs> he's straight into it. But he's a brown, you know. So. I mean, I feel that you look, you look very, uh, how, how put this, indigenous. <laughs> oh, my God. A little ethnic. Um, it's Arthur. Arthur. Short for Arthur. Listen, Arthur is a classy name, I think. I'm the king. The, the king. king around here. Is that what Arthur means? No. Oh. I think Arthur, I don't know what it means, actually. Cruz, which I think means cross in Spanish. I'm pretty sure that means to um, to ride along smoothly. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, in East LA. I'm just saying, you in, know, Cruz. In, in general, you know, one of one of the greatest iconic actors of all time, Tom. What? Cruz. Exactly. You know, it's funny when I pronounce my name, Art Cruz. Oh, Cruz. I go like Penelope, not Tom though. Oh, Penelope's the I brown feel, version. I feel you. Tom is the smooth Hollywood version. And she like ruined his life in Vanilla Sky. Yes. That was a rough was one. Awful. You know, she was she she was is is yeah. very very attractive young lady. Yeah. She still uh, is. Oh. Mature mature woman. Yeah. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about <laughs> Penelope Cruz, unfortunately. But maybe we can do another, oh, another we're doing show <clears throat> about that. We're here to talk about your journey, sir. Quite a journey it's been, my friend. <laughs> Quite a journey. Uh, so we are former label mates yeah and i guess that's how we how we met because I, I, well, I remember i can't tell if this was the first time so you might have to correct me mm. was it mayhem festival or is that the first time or, is it, or or did we meet before that and i just didn't remember the first time uh, quite positive it was mayhem festival okay um in jersey where the train tracks you know where the what's the name of that venue where the train tracks go over it's like right the bridge over to philly like oh, well, that's, that's Camden. The, uh, Camden. It, the, the name of the venue has changed. I think most recently it was Susquehanna Bank Center <laughs> or something. Very catchy name for a venue. Uh, you yeah, know? beautiful. Why, why have names like Madison Square Garden when you can have Susquehanna Bank Center? <laughs> you know? Or what's worse, uh, it, the, the basketball arena in New Orleans is, was called the Smoothie King Center. Uh, you know, because all these venues get corporate, it. corporate sponsorships. There's not very many actual venues that are still like something. Well, well, no, you have to, as a venue, you have to say, we're not going to besmirch the name of our iconic room just yeah. to make extra money. But yeah. I guess at the end of the day, if Smoothie, yeah. Smoothie King's going to throw you a couple billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, fuck it. I guess we yeah. Smoothie King I guess now. we're moving on with it. So. <laughs> yeah, man. Jeez. That, I, think, that, I think I'm almost positive that's where I first met you. Yeah. Almost guaranteed. And the thing is, so it's, I guess how you guys came on my radar is essentially when you guys signed to Central Media or were putting out records on mm -hmm. Central Media was pretty much when we were le about to leave Central Media. Uh -huh. So we were on our last album. And that was like this really, that time period, 2008, 2009, was like this changing of the guard that like you could kind of see how like the kind of style we were doing seemed to be a bit passe mm -hmm. or kind of going out of favor, not being quite as cool, especially because we did Mayhem Festival in 2009. And besides our stage, which was Trivium and all that remains in us, which mm -hmm. was definitely our kind of scene or whatever, the whole second stage was Behemoth. Just pissed. Job for a Cowboy. <laughs> Black Dahlia Murder, Whitechapel. Yeah. And then Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. And that 
kind of more extreme sound, more brutal, faster, but almost, I think that it was less about speed and more just about general intensity. Yeah. And I felt like we weren't connecting the same way we were uh, previously. And then kind of around that time, you, you you saw you guys come up. I remember hearing about a tour with you and as Blood Runs Black, yeah. which was also on Century Media, mm-hmm. right? No, they were they were on Media Scare. Yeah, but I think that but then, was. But then they ended up, I think. But wasn't Media Scare? Wasn't that under the Century Media? Yeah, like ten, I think it was. Pole? Yeah, I think it was actually. Um, and they're a they're a Cali band, right? Yeah, they're Cali. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I haven't even seen them do much. No, quite they, in they, a long time. Yeah, at all. Um, and then obviously there, there was. Suicide Silence and Animosity. Despised and Icon. Despised I- well, I feel like Despised Icon was around. They were around before. Way I before guess. that. And almost, you know, kind of a, a, a precursor yeah. to what was going on later. And even I uh, put All Shall Perish mm. was kind of on the on the cutting edge of that. Absolutely. So, like, what was going on in the scene around here? What, what you guys saw where you're like, all right, this we're part of like, did you guys feel like, Oh, we're a quote unquote death core band or had no, that was kind of just thrown on us because the band came from like hardcore roots, just straight. I mean, old uh, from H2O to Hatebreed to terror to Donnie Brook to anything that you can think of like that. Um, but where were you guys based originally? The band is originally from Upland, California, Ranch Cucamonga, the IE. So yeah. like out kind of a little east. East, I guess. East, it. Yeah. yes. Uh, off the 10 freeway to be exact. Okay. Um, the core. Where shit gets grindy. Oh, it gets a little crazy out if you keep <laughs> going east. But they were the, 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 the core of the band, you know, John and um, they, they all went to high school together originally. And so, that's kind of where they started, I mean, playing music. But um, as far as the, the scene coming up then... I had no idea that the death core. Yeah, but Suicide Silence yeah, is from they that were, area. They were the same thing, Impending Doom. Uh, even Sleeping Giant is out in the Redlands area. I don't yeah. know if you remember Sleeping Giant. Those guys were incredible. Well, I just remember playing the, the showcase a lot. Oh, yeah. And River, Riverside, man. I mean, yeah, and that whole scene and uh, Suicide Silence opened up for us when they were just a local band. Yeah. Um, and, I, and just how. Like motherfuckers went hard yeah. out there. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean that that venue is a, is a, is missed too. I mean, for even me growing up as a concert goer, like making the drive out to that area and doing that it was, you know, I missed that place. So how did how did the your guys deal with Central Media come about? Uh, Steve Joe. Steve Joe, his name comes <laughs> up a lot. Got to get him Steve, on the show. Steve Joe is the is the gentleman, the fine gentleman that uh, found the band and. Uh, it was actually after a, a show with Bleeding Through that Robert, originally the Century Media owner, owner yeah. was watching Winds of Plague open for Bleeding Through. And it was after that that it became a thing where Steve Joe got involved and realized, oh, wow, this is something cool, something different. And uh, the band developed to what it is now, but it started off as a real... Um, experimental genre just come there's a lot of things going on <laughs> well, well the thing is i think the corollary with bleeding through mm-hmm. is probably the most obvious thing for, for a few reasons because of the aesthetic of having a female keyboard player Correct. having a charismatic jacked uh front, front man, man. Mm-hmm. uh and then and then obviously having those very um 
atmospheric uh, things going on musically. But to me, like what I what I hear when I listen to you guys, it's almost like I was. This sounds weird, <laughs> but it, to me, it's like Nile meets Terror. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I would I think you know what that's a good point. I mean, with the, and there's obviously there's this kind of groovy. Um, kind of beat down under uh, underpinning to, to everything but one thing about it is that it didn't sound like you guys were doing the black metal thing it sounded like you were doing this almost cinematic Very. thing with the with the orchestration mm -hmm. who who is like where did that come from because to me to write stuff like that you can't just be some <laughs> jabroni who doesn't know anything about music yeah. so someone in the band clearly had uh knew a thing about composition and, and theory uh, the original keyboard player was was john john's brother chris mm -hmm. and um i think it started realistically as loving epic movies and even the japan honestly the japanese culture is what really fused i mean that's i guess you can say that we brought the samurai into the game like from well day yeah one. you guys were one of the few bands of, yeah. of that scene or any of the like the modern scenes that have like an actual it's like a mascot yeah it's like eddie uh, yeah eddie maiden but it's like the samurai did you, you know? guys ever get someone to dress up on stage no it? but that has actually dude that's been fucked up. i swear that's been talked about i'm not even fucking joking <laughs> or like, or it'd be cool actually here's better than that two samurais right and then have them like fight and shit i've if we can get a venue to approve that, <laughs> why? Why would you just just plastic get, swords? We well, have to get plastic swords. We we'll just get non-sharp swords. Get get actual. I don't know. That's I mean, if you a, listen, it, that's a headline. That's not something a, happens. It's not a fire hazard, so I don't think it would be a problem. It's a impaling hazard. Uh, well, Watain would go into venues with like severed uh, pig heads yeah. that were rotting. Yeah, which probably that's probably a health code. A health. Yeah, I think we can get away with it. Actually, now that you mention that. Why not? They have they have like uh, what's that? Um, uh, no, I'm thinking of uh, medieval times. Yeah, people go to that. Yeah, and they sword fight or they go to Renaissance fairs. <laughs> John is a huge. I'm, I say this. I mentioned John a lot because John is like the the brains of everything as far as the inspiration of the band. John's a an awesome, brilliant nerd. He's yeah. a massive buff scary nerd the, like the dude like loves lord of the rings and like loves japanese samurai stuff and goes to renaissance fairs and he loves halloween halloween is his absolute number one go-to but well yeah but he doesn't he work in haunted houses absolutely and stuff? he's actually right now he's slammed as of yesterday or i'm not sure when this will air but yesterday as in thursday they they opened up a halloween haunt the um sorry not scary farm He's been a part of that program for, I think, since he was like 15, 16, 17 years old. Really young. He was involved with Not Scary Farm. And now he's like one of the guys, the go-to. I mean, is that something you can do all year round or is there only like one kind of hot? I think, honestly, it, it's a whole different world that I never really knew existed <laughs> until John. And it's very much a year-round thing to build for the two months of fall of September, October to just destroy like Halloween time. And, uh, it's, it's just one of the thing. It, it is a year. It can be a year round thing. And I, I, John is on his, on his way to some other adventures right now. And 
Uh, I think he's got a lot of big plans personally with with his own ideas and his mm-hmm. own. He's got a production company that he started, you know, building sets. He did the Devil Driver recently. Did the Devil Driver set? Oh, like so doing music videos and oh stuff like all, that. All stuff like that. Okay, so he's, not like for touring, like building and building. He's, yes, he actually did uh, Carnifex. Oh no shit! We're in the shirt right now. He he designed and built all of Carnifex's recent headlining tour, backline and props and so he he just started getting really really into that so uh that's very inspiring to him that's cool it's like it's almost you think about that as like uh what stage production would be for like plays and stuff and and kind of getting to that and then that also obviously crosses over into film Mm -hmm. and and doing yeah uh, production design and things like that and all that came from his haunted haunted houses building haunted houses and i think it's great that he can put all of his passions into one now so yeah, it's, it's great. So, so you guys signed a Century Media, and there's something going. There's something going on. I, re, I remember hearing about. Maybe you can confirm this for mm-hmm. me or not. About a tour with you guys and As Blood Runs Black and one other band. I cannot remember who it was. I think it was. Could have been Despised Icon. But early, early on in that mm-hmm. scene, and I, I heard it was like crushing mm-hmm. like people were just coming out like it, it did really well like really early on in it i think it might have been the first thrash and burn tour okay it was i think darkest hour was headlining at the time mm-hmm. but that was a really really fat stacked lineup it was darkest hour i think parkway drive i just started coming over to the u.s um despised icon was on a few select dates winds of plague is blunt runs black after the burial was barely coming on the scene like it's like their first tour it's a lot that's a lot of heaviness heavy heavy people by be worn out by that was uh, it was a long day <laughs> <laughs> and i remember the i remember the production that we had on that that tour we, we tried to have production we had these again john was very creative already we had these iron i'm talking really heavy like you need multiple people to carry these flagpoles kind okay. of thing and that's couldn't I, get aluminum I, flat I, no you know you know we, we can't, didn't know about it back you then. know we can't see how heavy it is from stage right oh my gosh it's so <laughs> brutal it was so brutal like i mean no crew back then you know having to move that stuff it was it was quite an experiment and experience but um i think it might have been that tour that was it was really shaking a lot of grounds as blood runs black was kind of at the peak of their mm-hmm. they were really the rooms were massive um some of the biggest room that the band had band had come across doing those like all day festival type tours and it, i'm pretty sure it was that tour that things were breaking ground yeah a lot heavy so you know and and sometimes i've in in many ways like i think one thing i tried to do and i think some of the other guys from god forbid tried to do was even though there would there were new scenes and that we were always like all right we have to like we were never that kind of band. It's like, oh man, like hating on on the new bands. Mm-hmm. Like we were always like, no. Like when I met you, I was like, fuck yeah, what's up, dude? How you doing? And especially bands that were on our label. Yeah. Because we, we were all stoked. I remember when you 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 had came out, you had seen us all, and we were all actually really pumped that you were even familiar with the band. Because like, I mean, well, we you, grew up listening to you guys and Lamb of God. Like you guys all came up. I mean, that's just it was one of those things. So I mean, when you realized that, you know, wow. Yeah, well, it was, it was interesting for us because most of the newer, the, that next generation of bands, 
all gave us a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. Whether it was like meeting the guys from Asking Alexandria, and they were like, "Oh, we saw you guys with Trivium when we were like twelve years old," right. or you know, uh, you know, uh, people from Periphery, people, all the the newer bands mm -hmm. pretty much gave us respect. I'm sure the the new new bands now they don't know who the fuck I am, but <laughs> but that next that 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 next generation people are always cool, and we felt even if it was a funny thing with like the Suicide Silence guys where. We never even toured with them, mm -hmm. but we were homies with them just because we would just go out to shows and always want to be part of the kind of community at yeah. large and understanding that we're all part of this and we have to be connected to yeah. that. So that was always really yeah, yeah. Im important to us and not for nothing. The, the bands were good. I, I remember seeing you guys at Mayhem and being like... God damn, this shit is, and you have that feeling like, damn man, we, you know, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, thank you, that's respect, man. No, like so seeing you guys in All Shot Parish, I'm just like, damn, man, yeah. this is, I need to, I need to do something because you just, because you, you just start to feel like you're not even heavy anymore, like. <laughs> You know, I, I I can imagine if, if if you're like Saxon or something, and like oh, Metallica yeah. opens up for you, and you're like, we we're not we're not heavy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, now, you guys were heavy, man. It was a, it was just a different. Uh, I mean, we like like every generation. I mean, we're just we rip off everybody. Everybody rips off somebody, but that's necessary. I mean, it's you get inspired, and I, I don't even know where all this deathcore stuff came from. I really, it kind of just. Well, I think it's a natural progression. I yeah. think you always, everyone's trying to push further, right? Mm -hmm. You're always trying to go faster, go heavier. And the kind of difference between, because the thing is, Deathcore, as I know it, existed in the early 90s. There were bands like Pyrexia, yeah. there were, you know, even, even to me, old uh, Red Core. Dying, Dying Ooh, Fetus. Yeah, yeah. I'm, talking, I'm talking before oh, that. Before though. you. Dying Fetus yeah. to me was, could have been considered. A deathcore band. There was a band from New York called Irate mm. uh, that was literally hardcore mixed with, mixed with death metal. So this was something. And even I think God forbid when, you, when we did our first demo, we had on the tapes we called it deathcore. Oh man! Because we were at the time we were listening to Suffocation and Morbid Angel, and we were like, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think at that time I viewed metalcore as something like. Earth Crisis, yeah. or something. Yeah. So, so the term had been around, but in terms of what became the metalcore scene, right? So, if that was uh, Unearth and uh, ba you know bands in, in in that ilk and and bands like us, kind of, I think people had had a tough time saying what we were. Like, oh, you're New Wave American heavy heavy metal. Mm -hmm. You're metalcore to these people, and so you could kind of use either either term but mm -hmm. that was the it was the next step and, and to me right like you said red cord yeah was on the the front of that i think early between the buried and me yeah uh and then black dahlia was kind of that first band to have that that kind of gothenburg kind mm -hmm. of sound like we did Swedish stuff, but it man. was much more extreme yeah much more fast and they kind of opened that door and then all these other all these other bands went through and i think the big difference between the death metal sound and and what those bands what you guys were doing is something about that hardcore scene uh the youth the kind of the package it was in it yeah. wasn't old dudes with long hair and guts it was like 
guys who are, who are like straight edge and doing crunches and yeah. they have like full sleeves and they like you know <laughs> it, it, tattoos it, in high school in a sense like it was just it was a similar idea but it was much more marketable yeah. to a younger audience so you're kind of representing similar ideas but in a in a package that is easier to swallow and, and to an audience that you know our when we came up the, the people were listening to metallica and megadeth but the next group of kids they grew up on slipknot and corn and that heavier was, yeah. so they were your your brains are a little bit more wired to hear extreme music tuned down lower you know it's just it's just that's how it goes like, yeah. it doesn't it kind of goes on that that spectrum i think that, that's exactly i agree i mean slipknot was probably that was my personal inspiration i guess growing up joey listening to joey in that that time as i think i might have been like 15 or something like that but just a different generation so i came up listening to different stuff we all did and but you have a very good point with it's very youthful the in the we kind of jumped in and everybody jumped in like through that door like at the right time and um i'm surprised how far it's come and what it's become and even now what it's become it's it's bands are even heavier today i'm just like i just think i just saw like die Art is murder i was like geez like i thought i was trying to do heavy stuff like ugh. like <laughs> i'm like feeling like you in such a way the way you mentioned i guess if you felt yeah. that way at mayhem i'm like jesus like nails coming through i'm just like ay 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 like blowing me away so well they're gonna keep trying to get <laughs> tune lower everybody wants to get play. well it's <laughs> it, it i think it, it, there's always been a, been an arms race to a certain degree i remember when like the first time i heard cryptopsy mm-hmm. You got to see that, and it was, and part of their thing was this is the fastest band in the world. They have the fastest drummer, and you went and saw it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's the fastest. And it's Who's, so all over the place. You're like, fuck, this is this is this is crazy. And, yeah. and there's, and and I think now you kind of take the, the kind of uh, music instrument, kind of guitar nerd thing of, all right, they're tuned to G. That means we got to tune to f they're yeah. tuned to f we got to <laughs> tune to e so everyone's trying to yeah. they have eight strings we, we need nine, nine strings yeah uh everyone's really trying to outdo do each other because middle of the road doesn't grab headlines yeah to grab people's attention you have to do something extreme yeah so and i think you know maybe we're a little i think there is only so far you can go like like especially when it comes to the messaging part of it right like marilyn manson very very shocking mm-hmm. in his day but now you're used to that yeah so what how can you go more shocking yeah <laughs> which was why i think it's gone gone the other way where it used to be oh we're against religion it's mm-hmm. like ooh, yeah that's very that's that's very tantalizing and now it's like kind of mainstream culture is very liberal yeah so the w- way to be against the system is to be more right-wing because then that's more subversive and yeah. you're gonna get more headlines so it's yeah. it's kind of come full circle in a weird way i don't know that's it's funny (laughs) (laughs) so how how uh how big did winter play get like were you guys actually was it your living and for for x amount of time or was it always kind of for a while uh i mean we had a great run from 2000 i guess i come i wouldn't even say it, it was music is never comfortable it's like what do you not, mean? I don't feel like music is ever comfortable as long as far as 
Oh, feeling like you're feeling secure. like you're just like, yeah, I, I'm so comfortable, you know, unless you have some help elsewhere, uh, it's, it's kind of brutal. So. Or unless you're just in a very, very massive situation, which more power to a lot of bands like that, that happens, you know? And, uh, but it's not a lot of bands. It's only, it's a select a hand, few. a handful. Maybe I can probably count on my hand, but I think, uh, it was, it's hard to say big, but. 2008 to maybe 2011 was like super wow like really mind-blowing as far as like even doing headlining tours and i remember our one of our first headlining tours 2008 yeah the atticus metal tour it was that was the one i was talking about that that, that i heard did really well that might have been the one then i mean that was that was our first headlining tour we did that with amir and all shall perish opening And even terror opening, I was lo- I was terror open. Terror was three of five. Oh, so there's like that middle slot. Yeah. They, See, but they, you know what? They probably did that on purpose because three of five is the best spot. It's prime time, man, dude. <laughs> Eight o'clock. Everybody's already. I mean, even nine o'clock at that point. But that that uh, that was a wake up call. That that tour was just like whoa, man. Like the, the rooms were massive. We'd never. The band had never headlined big venues like that. That was 2008? That was 2008. So that's your first record? Yeah. So yeah. you guys came out the gate just yeah. putting your dick on people's pretty foreheads. Hot. It was pretty hot. <laughs> it was a, a very veiny dick. Very, very... It just came out out of the gate, like, really strong. And I think 2008 to 2011 was just, like, a mind fuck. Um, to the bands that were opening with us, to the bands that we were direct supporting, I mean... Pff, I mean, we, when we did the hate breed direct support, you know, or to hate breed and stuff like that, I was like, whoa, you know, that was already the high school me like freaking out, but you can't really show that too much. But, um, <laughs> I think the, those, those years were the absolute prime. Um, I mean, so, but you, but you left the band in what? 2012. 2012. Yeah. So why did, why did you end up leaving? Uh, well, like any of us in, in bands that stick together for, a large, a long, a long, long, length, lengthy amount of time. Um, you know, you grow differences and, you know, lifestyle changes. We were very different people, yeah. all of us. Um, I wasn't technically an original member, you know, like I, the band from high school, I, I didn't go to their high school. They, they developed in as kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I kind of always felt like an outsider, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, this is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, 
authors and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. It, it it just kind of felt that way. Just taking taking the reins and, and just riding the horse as long as I could do it. And um, it was one of those things where I just kind of I don't know. It's it, it was differences. We we grew to hate each other a little bit, and it was more so the lifestyle. I like to drink. They didn't like to drink. I like to hang out and party. They didn't like to hang out and party. I like to hang out with friends. They didn't like to hang out with friends. I didn't lift weights. They lifted weights. A lot of different things. Yeah, those are definitely di- different it, lifestyles. It's just lifestyle stuff, you know. And the thing is, I didn't. We didn't despise each other as people. It was just lifestyle changes, clashing and clashing and clashing. And then after so long and so many years, it just kind of becomes a thing where you gotta, you know what? This is not fun anymore. And you have to be surrounding yourself with people that are fun. So mm-hmm. uh, can't. There's no reason else to do music. So, um, but it wasn't because. For financial reasons, or no, the band was. I mean, doing it well. was. It was. It wasn't a financial thing. It was definitely a, a personal, more so, just again, lifestyle things. It, it, it's hard to like. I can't change my lifestyle. I can't change who I am as a person and where I come from. So, uh, we just kind of clashed a little bit, and it was best that we just moved on our our own ways, and. I think a year after that, I think the band only did about one tour after that. Yeah. And then... Well, they put out another record. Put out one more record without me. Um, I mean, I... Do you know why they... they Like, did they break up or did they just like hiatus or... or? They... It was... I guess you could say it was a hiatus kind of thing. Um, I, When I left, I literally... I did not talk to any of them, to nobody in the... So you don't really know. I don't really know the full details. Um, but... You know, the the band just had differences, and uh, I don't think they were having fun anymore, uh, yeah. even as friends. Uh, and it just became a thing where, you know what, this put the, they're going to put the hold on it. Put a record out. To my knowledge, the record was even difficult to even make. That last The last one that they did, it was kind of like bending arms, you know. Uh, but they put it out, and I don't feel like the band cared much about that record. One thing... I found just listening to some of the music to prepare for this is that I did not personally hear a big variance mm-hmm. between like the first record and that record resistance. It seemed like the band had a pretty solid formula and there wasn't a lot of deviation and maybe, you know, me not being super fan, maybe there, there is, I'm sure there are, there are differences. Um, but do you think that had anything to do with it? Like the band not really 
maybe not growing as much as as there possibly could have been or, or taking some more chances or trying to go into different realms yeah i agree i think that, that that's again i think there was a lot of differences in the direction of music and the direction of what the band wanted to go uh that i think for me looking outside at that time i think that could have been a very big factor on why that album just kind of missed well it's damned if you damned if you don't right yeah. if you don't change then people were like, "Oh, you're stagnant." If you yeah. do change, we're like, "Well, you you change what we like too so much." There's, it's it's uh, I, I mean, even like now. I mean, that record, I I I don't I don't like that record. Not I wanted to like it. There's a few songs that are actually really good. A, the Undertaker, "Say Hello to the Undertaker," is a great jam. Um, I hear where that influence came from. Did you guys? So not to jump ahead too far, but no, the, yeah. the band reformed. Are you playing songs from that record now? No. Oh, we wow. haven't. We haven't. Uh, we we haven't played any of those songs. I know we we've only did like two tours since I've been back in the band. This has been like a two year project. Yeah. Since even we played a, a show back together, as far as me back in the picture. Well, let's let, let me actually put a put a pin in that because yeah. I want to talk about your time after after you left. Now, when you left the band. Uh, what was your, did you have any plans? Was, or were you I, like, oh, I'm just going to become a regular Joe? Or I was kind of at that point where I think this happens to a lot of us. If, if it doesn't, then how, doesn't, how old were you at the time when you left? I was 20, maybe 25. Wow. So you were young, really yeah. young. Yeah. 20, maybe 24. I was still young. I mean, I was in the band. I wasn't even old enough to drink when I was in the band. So when I first came in the band, so it's like. Yeah, I was like 24, 25, I think. It was kind of a it was really rough. I was I had no idea what I was going to do because the the departure was very abrupt. Uh it kind of just happened overnight uh in the midst of a tour. We even canceled the tour because of it. Uh That was I guess the pin in for me when I left, but uh it was a really difficult transition. I almost had that. I was very emo at the time. I was like, you know what? Music, why? I was just going. I feel like some musicians have to go to that phase to really develop. A couple um, long walks on the beach uh, at some, dusk. Long contemplating. walks down the street in the hood. Yeah. But I think it was a very rough transition. And honestly, the way things have happened for me have been very right moment, right place, right time. Timing has a lot to do with things. Uh, I got kind of lucky, you know, I, I built relationships. Like I said, I was always the hangout guy. Yeah. I always wanted to hang out and make friends. And I, I didn't want to be like the outsider. I just wanted to be friends with everybody. Just, I have that personality. So it was through that, that I made friends. And, um, sure enough, I was at a new year's Eve party, uh, that year that I left the band and, uh, it was at Ash Avelson's house. Mm -hmm. uh, he was. We were working with him at the time. Shout out to Ash. Ash. Yo, big, big Ash. He, Ash has been a massive supporter of me since day one, and I love that dude. So, hi, Ash. Um, but we were there at his house New Year's Eve, and an old employee of his, Chris Folkerts, who is now the founder and owner of G Pen. Oh. Um, good for him. We yeah, fantastic. You think for he can give me some money for no I've, reason? I've, <laughs> hey, Chris. You need a little cash over here. No, I don't need it. I just want it. <laughs> I just would like just some spending money, you know. Sorry. A little, uh, that product's amazing. Plug the G-Pen. Love G-Pen. Um, I 
connected with him at a, at a New Year's Eve party. It was the first time he showed me the prototype for this G-Pen. And it was very, very early trying to start this company up. And um, we stood in touch after that. I think it was California Metal Fest of that year that Winds of Plague was playing. It was awkwardly, but I wanted to go. It was the year Killswitch was doing. Yeah, um, I was there. It was the, the front to back. They were playing. Um, yeah. That, was, heartache, the, that right? was the day after the end of the last God Forbid tour. Because ah, we were out with Shadows Fall. That's right. I, I just told this Direct story support. because I had <clears throat> Lorenzo on here. Ah, yeah. And I, I ended up staying at his, his house. But yeah, we were out with Shadows Fall. And then they got on the California Metal Fest and we didn't. So I ended up just hitching a ride with them yeah. and just stayed in California for like a week and then went home. Right. But yeah, I saw that fucking That's yeah, f- phenomenal show. So Jeez. great. Oh my God. With great Jesse, show. Just, uh, but I remember that was the first day that they had an activation G-Pen. They had a huge tent. That was like their first like we are G-Pen statement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And then you, were, you, you started working. For I them. started, they, they recruited me. Uh, it was a very small thing at first, you know, like we, we were in a very small office with all of us in one office answering phones and packing stuff. It was a really crazy small so you operation. Were, you were distributing from there as well? Yeah, I was helping with their, I mean, I was doing a lot of quality check stuff, customer service. Um, that developed into other stuff. We can get into that in a second. But I think when the timing on this, I'm then recruiting me saying, uh, you know, like, I think I'm done with music. This was at that phase of like, yeah, I'm done with music. I can't do music. I need, I need like a real job and I want to feel like a part of this world, blah, blah, blah. But he, Chris and Timmy, who, who was a part of G pen as well, recruited me to be a part of their team. And, um, I saw an opportunity and I jumped in it and I was with them for about a year. Um, the company blew up very fast. Um, so, with my touring experience, they threw me on the Mayhem Festival again. Oddly enough, that that festival is very missed for me. That has that that festival is probably the reason I have like a lot of different careers in many different uh, roads down different roads. But um, we were we were on the Mayhem Fest, and I I ran as a an ambassador for the brand. So as how does a sponsor. How, how does that work legally with uh, because? Is G Pen primarily for marijuana, or is it would it also work for um, for tobacco? It's definitely. I mean, I, as far as now goes, I'm not sure the direction, but I. I mean, I can't speak for the the brand. But at the time. But at the time, it, it was we were using it for essential oils. Essential. Oh, essential yeah. oils. Aromatherapeutic uh, oh, reasons, okay. essentially. Oh. And then Snoop Dogg came on board and was saying, yeah, he wanted to use some essential herbs. Oh, essential herbs. Uh, Only the essential ones. Just the essential. Not, not you know, essentials. You know, you have like coconut and... Oh, coconut. coconut and coconut, uh, coconut. kiwi yeah. and... All right. Wanna, you know. <laughs> but that, that essentially, yeah, but that, that G-Pen is now, I mean, with the medicinal marijuana like world growing and being more welcomed, which I think should have happened a long time ago. I'm a very big marijuana connoisseur. Um, so I take the me off and I'm just like, yo, I think you need some of that medicinal. <laughs> that's exactly what I would say. So I, I, I now, I mean, that, that G pen is making, they're making extreme moves, lifestyle moves that, that is become a part of your daily. Like you can't leave home without your G pen. Like that's just a natural thing now, especially in California. Geez. But you know, um, it was during that transition time I got lucky, man. I got lucky that yeah. they, 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 
they gave me a job because I it's hard to bounce back like when you're so used to being on the road for so long and relying on touring and so even for me being home for a month it it kills me you know especially now when I, I have so many different projects going on it's just like I can't be home I have to do a thousand things but um, that so, transition yeah so speaking of other projects it yeah. wasn't too long after that that you joined with prong this is a, a the crazy leg, the, the legendary, legendary prong and and for surreal those of you know because i'm i'm older than you yeah and <laughs> no i am yeah and so i got to to one of the ways i cut my teeth as a as a young heavy metal fan was i got to watch the original headbangers ball oh, and I'm pretty sure "Snap Your Finger, Snap Your Neck" is the most song, is the most played song ever. On yeah. Well. It has like maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe it's like White Lion or some shit. And <laughs> I'm just because I, I I got on the I got on the game too late, mm-hmm. but in a sense, you could have a Headbangers Ball hit, even if it wasn't a radio hit. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you an example. So a song like Five Minutes Alone" mm. by Pantera. Yeah. That was a Headbangers Ball hit, but you probably wouldn't hear it on the radio. Correct. And in a sense, it's kind of robbed that mid-level band of having that impact because now it's like, well, if you don't have an active rock song, then you're not going to get played on the radio. So you're, you know, and, and I, I, I was trying to make this distinction not that long ago that there's a difference between a, a radio hit and a metal hit, right? So for example, so, uh, <laughs> all right, Redneck by Lamb of oh, God yeah. is a heavy metal hit, right? So that means if Anthem. you're at like, let's say we're hanging out in a tour bus and we're like hanging out, we're drinking, we're having a good time, and you want to put on a song that's going to get people amped up, that you put on a song, oh, it's like, yeah, and <laughs> you know, they start, everyone's like cheersing and head banging, or like in Europe, they have these, these, metal clubs where the dis- they the discos yeah and they have and and i and for americans this is probably a bit hard to to understand and for those people who who live in europe and australia and different parts of the world they completely they're like why don't you guys have this yeah. uh yeah and they play metal and hard rock as if how we do it here where it's like they're playing you know little uzi or some <laughs> You know what's up with it's the streets. Exactly. What's, what, what's, what's hot in the streets? <laughs> I don't Art, even know, dude. Art knows. You're, oh, man. You know what's going on. But my, my point is, <laughs> so you could have a metal hit. So that song is one of the biggest metal hits yeah. ever. And it's like, in a, in, in a sense where I can't imagine, and, and maybe Tommy will probably be able to speak on this more, is how much having a great song can change your life and actually help cultivate a, a however many long in your career just even that i mean that song i mean they they were doing they were doing music industry changing things before snap your fingers but it was that on that headbangers train that just like that time where it was like wow like you you couldn't not put headbangers on like not did you did you read the article I wrote about? Yes, um, I know what, what you're talking about. Yeah, so yeah. it's post thrash groove metal. Yeah, and you shouted us out, and thank you. That's I, cool. I did I did shout shout the band out because it. I hate to use this word artifact, but mm-hmm. everything in that article, mm-hmm. and I and I everyone, if you haven't read this article, maybe I'll I'll, I'll link it. Um, it was when I was writing for VH1, and that era in the '90s, you'd have these bands that they weren't so old school that they sounded like. Exodus in 86 Mm -hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't death metal it was groove metal 
but it had enough of the thrash kind of sensibility to it and it was just some it was a genre i really loved and the, the biggest bands from that that derived from that to me are probably pantera and white zombie yeah but there was all these other bands that kind of did well but then almost have been were forgotten by time to a certain degree because it didn't fit with whatever the new thing because the yeah. new thing was either new metal or the new thing was grunge even gr- like that well that was simultaneously yeah I'm, I'm i'm saying like bands that had a career uh that were doing well but then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know being like i mentioned skin lab i mentioned stuck mojo yeah um propane uh grip incorporated all the, all these bands that if you weren't around for it mm-hmm. and you got into metal later you might not have heard about some of this stuff yeah so 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 how did you end up getting with prong well the the g pen transition uh again i was stuck in that emo zone so i was like yeah i need i felt good i had a I'm a business guy I'm, I'm in an office you know i'm i cut my hair off like a an idiot i don't know what the hell i was thinking but i grew it back obviously if you're looking at this now but um it's looking nice and nice little, and uh, stringy uh, nice and stringy nice and very native who will <laughs> I stick no but the I chopped my hair off and everything I was working in the office did that and you know what it's like I love g-pen and I will always love g-pen um, I learned a lot of skills that I'm actually using to this day with my own business which we can get hopefully get into later um, but I was just super bummed I was like damn I, I missed the road I missed touring that that itch that I got on mayhem festival as a sponsor for g-pen gave me that like oh i need to be back on the road i want to be back behind the drums it was so difficult like watching from the side of the stage and not being able to like create music again were you playing at all in your spare time no completely that's what's weird about drummers where we just stop well no because (laughs) you have to pay a lot of money for space it sucks especially in la unless you want to do you know like electronic kit which from what i hear is just not the same it's boring it's not fun. You want to be able to lay in that snare drum. So I it's I didn't do it. I didn't bother. I just had all my stuff in storage. I said, nah. But it was at that time. I did G-Pen for about a year. And then I was miserable again. I was just yeah. like, oh, man, dude, please. What do I do? What do I do? And this was literally, I mean, we. I, I, had, I just had a change of heart, like, which happens. And I've always went with my gut, man. I've always went with that gut feeling. I don't really second guess myself. If I feel something initially, I'm just going to do it. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, it just doesn't work. And I figure it out from there. But I did that and I, I left G-Pen. And w- again, with no plan whatsoever. Had no idea what I was going to do. But not even, not even two weeks after I left G-Pen, me and Tommy had been friends for now going on 10 years. Um, Danzig, when he's been playing with Danzig for as long as I can remember, Danzig took Winds of Plague on tour in 2008 as well. It was a big year. Yeah, um, 2008. <laughs> but Obama. Obama. That's, what, that's what Obama got in, guys. <laughs> that's why it was a big year, all right? That was a big, big year. <laughs> this is, by the way, this is the Obama propaganda hour. Enjoy it. Us, all, the, all us mixed, all us biracial dudes got sick. Yeah, I, got, I left Winds of Plague, <laughs> left G-Pen. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> I, oh, my God. No, but it was just that uh, I had that relationship with Tommy, man. Uh, since then, and me and Tommy clicked on baseball. We love baseball. We love the Dodgers. We love L.A. Um, we calm, were always friends. Calm down. Right? <laughs> I know we're in L.A. But Viva yeah. los Dodgers! <laughs> oh, my God. General. What is 
I don't even know what kind of baseball you, baseball team you were like in Jersey. Well, I was a Yankees fan. Oh, God. Until they started winning, and then I stopped liking them. Oh, that's a good that's a good reason to stop. No, but no. Well, it wasn't that they were winning. It was how they were that they. I liked it when they were homegrown, and then when they started, just it was like, oh, Roger Clemens and uh, yeah. Randy Johnson. I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> oh, have God. have fun with all no, these. Weren't these your? Wasn't Roger Clemens our rival? Yeah. No. No. I they, I everybody started getting the enemy. Yeah. They basically signing the enemy. They Kevin Duranted that shit. Oh, oof. Ah, anyway, but moving on. But no. Uh, but uh. Uh, me and Tommy had this relationship, man, forever, and uh, I swear the timing was like really wild. But he he messaged me on Facebook, and he's like, "Hey, what have you been up to?" And like, we hadn't talked in a while, and I was like, uh, "Honestly, I just left my job. Uh, um, what are you doing?" <laughs> he's like, "You should uh, come help us out. If if you're not busy, we we kind of we're, we're in a pinch." And it was him and Mike Gitter that contacted me. And so they were doing a record with, with Central Media? No, they were. They think they've always been SPV. So he, he was managing them? No, Mike Gitter was managing Who's the managing band. Them? Him okay. and I think Scott Cohen at the time. All right. Um, but Prong was making this comeback. They had just finished their Carved Into Stone record. It was like his, his return record, comeback record. And he's like, I'm in a, we're in a pinch. We're, we're leaving for a tour. It was with Clutch. Uh, Good tour. But this was, yeah, great tour. It wasn't even this... This was funny. It wasn't even a playing a playing call, phone call. He didn't call me to play drums. He called me to if I you know oh you're out of work like do you need help you know what's going on? So, yeah, I was like I just wanted to be on the road. So you know what? I started as a merch guy growing up as a kid. I was like I'll do your merch. I don't give a shit. By the way, I've actually thought about that in life. I'm like you know what? As long as someone needs a merch guy, Doc Coy will never. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I can yo listen. I will sell the shit out of some merch. If, oh if, if things go bad for me, I'm like, you know what? I can sell merch. You seem like a good. I mean, you have your people skills are incredible. So it's like, you can probably just push, dude. That's not units, you, baby. That's not what you do. You just go with the big band, and it sells itself. And you're just, you know, you're just, just a, you're just a bean counter. <laughs> you know, you can shut your brain off. And you can have a have a merch assistant and just just manage the merch. Dude, how hard is it? You count in, you count out, boom. It's a you grind. Know, you just, you, know, you got to lift. You get, here's what you do, but you got to have a hand truck to move the shit, shit so your back ain't broke. Always. And then you're good. Always. All right? I'm just, I'm just saying, listen, guys, you always got to think about what you can fall back on. All right. Got to have that backup plan. Doc Coyle merch. Well, no, you, do, do, do you ever watch uh, Better Call Saul? Yes. All right. And oh my God. Better Call Saul, he's working <laughs> oh at a God. Cinnabon. That's right. All right. You know, he's not happy, but you know what? He ain't starving. Oh my gosh! You know, because if it worse comes to worse, he can take a big ass bite of one yep. of them cinnabons. Food is on the table. All right. <laughs> so just saying, we all have to have our cinnabon in the background in case it's shit, important, man. You know, because some people wish they had a job at cinnabon and they don't. Oh god, I would. All right. Is there a cinnabon downstairs? I've never had a cinnabon. Weird. And I'm and I love snacks, so I should of all the people that should have had a cinnamon, it should have been me. Well, you're failing at life right now. No, because I got ice creams in there. I got I got motherfucking donuts all the time. All right, I got problems. Oh I'm bringing you stuff next time. But uh, oh my god, I need to lose weight, so probably don't do that. <laughs> oh my god, want to get some food after this? I actually do. Yeah. Anyway, that out. okay. Maybe, no, but uh, on the transition, man, it right place, right time. Hey. We need a merch guy. Are you down? I was like, yeah, please. I need money and I need work <laughs> and I would love to go on tour. Yes, please. So we left on tour and I'm telling you, just like the rest of my stuff in my career and anything that I've done come across, it's just been like, bleh, learn this, do it like quick kind of thing. And that's exactly how everything's been. But 
long story. I, I could tell the story. It's a great story. I think they had Alexi Rodriguez playing. Yeah, Alexi Rodriguez was playing. Shout drums. out to Alexi. I haven't Yo, seen Alex, him forever. I miss that dude. I haven't heard or seen that guy in years. He used to play for for Walls of Jericho and for, Three Inches of Blood. Three Inches of Blood. For yeah. those, Phenomenal those drummer. Yes. Phenomenal and, drummer. And a great guy. Nothing bad to say about that guy. He might hate me though. I have no idea if he hates me or not. But here's where we're moving on. We're gonna find out. We're gonna why find I hate out you. right now. <laughs> we're on tour. I'm selling merch. We're in a Sprinter van. We are in. We are in Kansas City. We're in Kansas City, and at this time, Tommy. Tommy doesn't drink anymore. Tommy's a, f- a very happy, happily sober, fine young gentleman now. Um, but at the time, Tommy was still drinking. Tommy can party. He can definitely party. He still can party. But he was partying back then, drinking a lot. Good times. <clears throat> there was a, a, a scuffle, if we if we will, and a lot of words were exchanged. No fists were thrown. Was it amongst the band? It was amongst them too. Oh, okay. Uh, at a bar. I don't know the actual reason. I will never probably know. Well, but just drunk, drunken craziness. Just drunk, pissed off people. You know, metal. Oh, I don't but, blame. Don't blame heavy no, metal. Please. No, metal's great. It was just drunk, you know, and it happens. But Alexi stormed off to the Sprinter van, and I was with him. I followed him back the whole way because I was helping him out the whole time as well. And he decided to punch the side window of the Sprinter. Luckily, he didn't break the, the window, but he punched it with his entire everything that he had. He broke his hand? He broke his wrist and his hand. Oh, my God. Instantly. Instantly. Inst- it was disgusting it was a brutal situation and it was just you know where things came things came really fast and it happened and this the tour was fresh it was still going on it was still on tour um he got sent home the next day i mean he had a broken hand what's he gonna do out there there's no use to doing anything out there so tommy hey i play drums hi tommy i can play drums i mean what's up keep in mind this is crazy it's 2012, and this was the first year that Slipknot did Knotfest in Des Moines and Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. The first show is Minneapolis. The following day, <laughs> very large crowd, and we literally the morning of we jump into a Guitar Center rehearsal studio. This was, I think, when they first started having rehearsal studios on that side of the country. I did not know that I, was a thing. Me either. But they had a rehearsal studio. We jumped in for a few hours. It was me, Tommy, and they had Dave, Dirty Dave Pipus from Cradle of Filth playing bass at the time. Wow. That how, was... How long of a set did you have to play? Uh, 40 minutes. 40, fuck. If it was 30, I'd be like, that's not too bad. 40. Yeah, but 40, man. That extra 10 is brutal. It, it was, I was shitting my fucking pants. And you, had, you didn't really know the songs? I, it's weird because I, I knew like the old stuff as a kid. Like I came up on thrash and like old groove metal shit like that, but it's different to hear it and then to play it. And luckily I'd been on the tour for a couple of weeks at this point. So I'm hearing it every day. Um, so you're kind of seeping in I, through, I, through I'm osmosis. just kind of, it's mild, mild muscle memory just by listening. Plus but. I have to say, I think with drums, it's probably the easiest. And I'm saying this not as a drummer, but guessing you tell me if I'm wrong that it's probably easier to learn stuff on the fly because you're essentially dealing with like a toolkit, right? So it's like, it's this kind of beat for this amount of time. Mm -hmm. So if you could, 
as long as you know how long you have to play that beat and you know the tempo, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's like some crazy Dillinger shit yeah. where it's just so precise and off the hook. If it's something like that, you know, oh, I know this kind of beat in every song. Yeah. I just have to plug it in, you know. So it's a little different. Whereas, like, if I'm learning a song, I have to learn notes. very distinct notes. <laughs> Learn a guitar you can't hit solo. a wrong note versus hitting a wrong drum. Yeah, as you long as you're still, in time yeah. and in, and you have the 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 the, the actual feel of the snare mm-hmm. is is right. Yeah, and the groove is generally what it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, if you have to play a thrash beat or something or a you know four on the floor, you understand that language. So it's probably a little bit easier to. Step I, in. I agree, hundred percent. It's still terrifying. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> because if you fuck up, the whole thing fucks yes, up. Yes, and everybody, it's, just, it's just that look that the whole, it's that fear of everybody the just look. turning around and what the fuck are you doing kind of look. And I've had that a few times in every, both bands. Every, so. drummer, every, every drummer has probably had that unless you're God or something. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's, it's got to be, listen, drummers... There should be a special place in heaven for for drummers. I I think there is because, like I said, if you fuck up, everyone blames you. Yeah. Yet you're in the back with no no light, no one, you know, just getting none of the love. People out in the front, and all you do is see other dudes' butts. <laughs> accurate, accurate. And you man. have the most equipment to lug the, around. And. It's the it breaks the most, and then it's the and it's the, most expensive, dude. Yeah, like so, like oh. it's hard. It's much harder to get free sticks and free symbols than it is like uh, strings, strings and, and picks and stuff like yeah, that. I so, agree. No, so no. yeah, so you, so special place in heaven. Like, Very, shout, out, shout out to the drummers. Yeah, man. Seriously, I mean, but I think uh, it was just that that incident. It was very instantaneous, and we rehearsed for like maybe two hours, and played the show later that day. And then did the second Knotfest the following day, and then I just finished the tour, and it just, we just gelled together. And I think that first day was crazy because that was the first day. Shout out to my friend Randy Blythe, our buddy, uh, had just got it was his first show back after oh, yeah. after getting out of jail. That must be really emotional, dude. Oh my god! I mean, I hadn't seen him since well before that, so uh, it was good to like see him, and it was amazing. But he actually that first show and he helped he he said some really awesome things to me that day and he even decided to do a cover with us that night that day so he came on stage with us and did a a misfits london dungeon cover and i think that helped me dramatically uh it kind of loosened me up it was really special and uh it was all around special day that was a crazy crazy time for that to happen as fast as it did and that's exactly how the transition started and Plus, you had that that thing of I'm back in the game, baby. Dude, it felt. <laughs> dude, I was. Ah, it was. It was a. It, the hype was very real in my in my body. I was like, this feels good. I'm back. You know. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't come out yeah. playing some shot ass hovel in front of eight people. You're playing not fast yeah. with a legendary band. Yeah, and Randy's yeah. there, and it was just a very emotional day. Uh, I mean, Lamb of God's like my all time favorite metal band. Like growing up, uh, I think always will be. They they don't let me down ever. And some of my bestest friends nowadays and I, I love those dudes so shout out to all those guys but um that transition that show really like it, it started my career with prong and to this day and since then we put out four records i put out four records with them and yeah so that's that's really crazy, crazy to me is is the the level of production because what was the record i i heard uh i think it was I think it was ruining lives yeah, or something. That was my first one. So I was in a black hole and being like, 
A, I was really impressed by how great the production was. Like, wow, this sounds really cool. And it yeah. sounded modern. Yeah, right. um, yeah, and I was, and I, I guess it wasn't on my radar too much at that point how uh, busy the band was. So how, so outside of obviously putting out four records in about four or five years, yeah. um, are you pretty busy with the touring? And, and Absolutely. Uh, this year was the busiest that I've ever been. I guess it felt busy because a lot of moving parts were happening and I, I I like to do a thousand things as much as I can. I know when even when I was not touring, I would run into you all the time at the Palladium because mm-hmm. I started picking up shows at Palladium. I, I starting, I think, in 2010, what, what were you doing? Yeah, what were you I was doing? the box office manager. Yeah. So I starting in 2010, uh, I got recruited by I mean, small world. The music industry is freaking wild the way it works. But our Mayhem Fest press girl, you know, Laura Jean, by chance. She was she's she's in production game. She, I think she was with Marilyn for a while. I'm and, sure I do know her, yeah. but I probably like me. I'm so terrible where I'll know someone. No, it's all I'll good. I think if name. you saw her, you'd be like, oh, okay, I know you. Yeah. She, she I covered for her a shift for her, and it was at a festival, a Live Nation festival, and I started selling box office tickets. That was in 2010, and I met a, a girl named Karina, who literally showed me the ropes from start to finish as far as growing as a box office employee. And I became a box office manager, and I was at the Palladium in between tours. Every show at the Palladium, I was there. So, yes, um, I've I've begged you to get in the show. You were like, "Listen, dog, can't do it, dog. Listen, <laughs> had to, dog." Had to lay the hammer down. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. <laughs> but um, it was uh, it was always one of those things, you know. It, it, and that you were transition, pro- you were, yeah. you, and you were promoting too, right? Yeah, and then I was working with Insomniac Events. Uh, now uh, under the same umbrella as Live Nation, doing like EDM, EDM and stuff. stuff. And then I was I was running drum and bass shows for bass rush and that's when i started recruiting you yeah to do to run my i needed a big guy i need a big doc coil at the front door please taking some tickets i was taking tickets and just uh you know he was helping me out throwing me some extra ducats when yeah. i first moved out here when uh when when cash was lean so I, yeah. I, I always uh respect that and appreciate that um but yeah so you're doing all the all all, the, all these different things and and yet you're still out you're busy touring what for a band like prong at this point is in its career like what does the fan base and the um the kind of energy in the band is it is it palpable is it something that you guys see grow is it younger people is it Absolutely. old people coming back you know it's crazy because the it's i've seen the band i mean i've been thankful to be a part of the band as it's resurgence if that if it is the band has definitely came back full force like um the shows have only been growing every year the records have only been getting better i feel every year and tommy has become more creative and i he's allowed me to bring my youthful inspirations to him that's what i think of you youth i'm like they're so youthful (laughs) it's a great word i'm actually gonna hook you up to a machine and steal some of your blood and just kind of take it. it Take you it. know, take some of that youth. I love it. No, it's just he he allowed me to like really like I, I helped open him up to some new stuff. And Tommy's always been very current with the music scene and he listens to everything that's everything from impending doom to to for today to Miss May I. To, Have you heard this record that apparently he did with Mike Schleibaum? 
I haven't heard it. No, okay. but it's he did it though. Yeah, apparently there's a record out there that's 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 under the rap smear with Mike from Dark Tower and, and, I mean, and Tommy Victor. To, Mike um, Schleibaum's always come and he's a great dude and I, that guy loves prong. That guy loves prong and I love that dude. Mike is in the X Men Hall of Fame even though he's not really an X Man, but he's he's part of the he will always be part of part of the Hall, Hall of Fame. He's here. a legend, man, and I I met him on my first like the first couple of Winds of Plague tours. Yeah, yeah. But so um, so eventually, so even while you're doing this, mm-hmm. Winds of Plague got back together. Correct. We got back together in 2000, the end of 2014, or I think it was 15. I'll be honest, I don't remember. It was a couple of years ago. We played one show. Uh, it was a reunion slash throwback show to support uh our good friend justin Lowe of after the bear who passed uh with some mental you know problems didn't, and, didn't a bunch of bands like reunite yeah, for that we, we 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 got back together and did it it was suicide science did a throwback set i think uh as blood runs black came mm-hmm. back uh suffocate bay area yep. Deathcore band came back to that to that time and all I know about Suffocate is dude had real big uh, plugs plugs massive plugs so I remember massive that guy was nuts man he's a great dude uh, but How? that that was um that was uh the first time we got back together and then it was crazy because me and John were talking again at this time and we were originally discussing a new band and we were actually writing music for a new band um. And it was one of those things where you're like, yeah, 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 it's going good, going good, going good. And then you just start realizing we're just writing Winds of Plague shit. What? The, what? So does he actually write the music? No. John John is a very uh, is a creative um, director, if, if you will. He he doesn't play guitar or anything like that. But he he formulates his lyrics are always impeccable. He's very. Hold on. I got yeah. I, I got to find some of the, the song titles from this, this last album because because this shit like. All the songs of a resistance, that one or no, the, the lat the uh, decimate the week. Hold on, I, I gotta I, I gotta look this up because <laughs> I was looking at this and I was like, these are the most angry, <laughs> epic. No, but if you were if you were trying to like stereotype uh, like a metal band and like the, why why are they so angry? Like this is exactly. <laughs> hold on, what, I gotta find this. Oh, is it uh? I think the Great Stone War. Oh yeah, I was like, but every every song title is about hate and anger. It's like, say hello to the Undertaker, <laughs> sewer mouth, left for dead, one foot in the grave, time to reap, united through hatred, good old fashioned bloodbath. I'm like, damn man, what's going That's on? That's John, man. Who John pissed is, in your cereal? He's <laughs> John is John has always had some uh, an awesome. Taste that's like, what I love about hard, hardcore. I don't know if I love it or hate about hardcore, where it's like everyone is like everyone's trying to get payback. You know what I'm saying? Don't disrespect my family or my friends. Oh I'm my like, God. what is going on in your life that all these terrible things are happening to you? Maybe you should do some yoga and hang out with some some people. You know, go get it. Go get a smoothie. I smoothie mean, King, by the way. Oh if, my God! If Smoothie King wants to endorse this show, please come on board. Please hit mm. hit me up. Actually, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, about drumming because i saw you guys back in the day but i almost i think i was just generally impressed by the band so i didn't hone in on you but when i got to see you with prong i was really really impressed with your with with with, with your drumming thank you and it seems like actually a 
even though I, I kind of talked before about those kind of common beats and things, mm -hmm. it is a pretty drastic difference style stylistically. Dramatically. Um, was that something that you took to naturally, or did you actually have to evolve and and kind of what like did it feel like a throwback style, or like you were learning a new feel? I felt. Uh, I mean, it's been a complete lesson since I joined Prong. It's been like an everyday like. Wow, thought I knew that. Nope, didn't know that. Wow, thought I knew that. But I think as developing, I think I, I more so fell into playing. I had to kind of, not dumb down, that's not the right term, but I had to really like hone in on the simplicity of how, how effective a simple drum beat can actually be instead of just going crazy and blast beating and playing breakdowns. Well, you can't, you can't hide. You can't. You're, you're, you miss a beat at this point, you're, you're done, you know? And, um, Groove, grooving is so crucial with a band like Prong as the groove metal king, you know? And I think I, I, I developed this thing where I can just kind of fit both again, where he was letting me, he was allowing me to kind of welcome this new style. And I think it shows in a lot of the new music. And um, there's a lot of thrash. It's a lot of thrash. I, I wanted to bring, I mean, we, we, I convinced him to let's, let's pick it up a bit, you know? Um, it's intense, you know, New Prong is very intense now. And uh, I think I just kind of honed in on developing this new, I guess, simpler version of drumming. And I learned to stay in that pocket a lot more with him. And uh, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. And, and I have fun with wins. No, you have to concentrate more. And it, with wins, I have to really like, I mean, I'm on, we're on a metronome and I'm like, we have, we have a lot of things going on yeah. and that's, I love that about Winds of Plague. It's always been that way. But when I play with Prong, it's just such a breath of just. Is there, is there no click, no nothing with Prong? No. Never has. I mean. So, doesn't that feel so good? It feels amazing. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I, even when they were going through that like industrial phase of like, you know, uh, Root Awakening and the cleansing and stuff like that, I think they weren't even playing a click back then, but they still had samples and they were just kind of Ted, Ted Parsons was just like holding on to that track. I'm Damn, not even joking, that's but, bold. but they had a sample guys who can stop it at any given yeah. point. But, um, it, yeah, I think, uh, I've definitely enjoy going back and forth now. And it's, uh, I mean, wins hasn't been so busy, busy, busy with playing live, but as far as us writing and developing the, you know, new winds of plague over the past two years, it took us about that long. So there's a new record coming out, right? Yes. The new record. And we just announced it today. Everything just Did came release out today. A song? Yeah. We released, released a video single, oh. Oh. some pre-orders. Um, the name and, of, the, and what label is that coming out of? This is a uh, coming out on it's entertainment. One is the umbrella, but e it's good fight. It's good fight. Um, so what Carl, 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 my boy, Carl, <sighs> Shout out to Carl. I hope he listens to you. If he doesn't, I'm going to make sure he does. But Carl has been, uh, has seen the vision of what we wanted to do. And there's, it's a very loose, comfortable relationship with him and this release. There was nobody breathing down our back. Uh, <laughs> no names, but yeah. in the creative process of us in the studio, um, we had a great deal with, you know, we were on Central Media for our entire, like, career um but this this record was we felt we felt we just needed a re a re restart button so with the recent tour you guys went out with devil driver and yeah. death angel yeah. uh and the agonist mm -hmm. did it feel like the fans are still there did it feel like the support was there or did it feel like uh oh we're kind of we gotta we gotta we have to do some work on yeah. our own that's a different that tour was very 
different for it's us. It's hard to tell. It's if it, super d- tough. The tickets were kind of pricey. Yeah. Uh, so our fan base are not used to going yeah. out to buy, you know, $30, $35 tickets. Uh, that's so just the reality of it. It'd probably be easier to tell if you did a tour more in alignment with your scene. Correct. And we did that. We did a, we did one week. We just tested it. It was uh, right before this Devil Driver tour. We tested a Southwest run. Did incredible. With who? Just us. And oh. it was us and, I'm sorry, not just us. So us. So with support of uh, Rings of Saturn. Yeah. Um, um, as well as Enterprise Earth. And it was, it, there was, it was just a good little package yeah. that we had together. And it did well. Yeah. It was great. And uh, no complaints on that. And it did really well. It was a very short one. Um, so are you guys planning on doing like a full touring cycle? Or absolutely, just- man. We have, we honestly, next year is, it's without having to say much next year is a very big year yeah. uh, for us uh, as far as our first release. Um, is, uh, is that going to conflict with prong schedule or is prong taking some time off? Prong or? is definitely going to stay busy. Uh, Tommy has always been very loose with me. And, and I, ever since I brought up the fact that I was doing Winds of play again, he's always been awesome about it. He loves Winds of play. He's a huge fan. Um, but he he's he's been he's been flexible i mean luckily this next i mean we're doing some stuff with suicide silence um those dates are on our page everywhere but we're doing we're doing the last week of the suicide silence anniversary tour oh is that around here <clears throat> yeah it's actually coming around here i think in as far as la goes we're doing somebody put me on a guest shoot, list i got you done i got you done. glass house on december 16th i've been to glass house in forever it's gonna be great it's gonna be hot moist it's gonna be hot in there moist um uh, and then the seventeenth at the whiskey, right on, right on. Yeah, but uh, it's going to be a busy year. We plan on hitting cities that we haven't hit, and I mean the band hasn't been doing much for for over five years, almost almost five years. So, which is really crazy to say, but um, yeah, next year is going to be extremely busy. A lot of cities that we haven't touched in a long time. We're trying to bring back a lot of throwback, you know, um, lineups. Trying to bring back some bands that we used to tour with back in the day, and make a really big thing out of it, you know? So a couple things I want to talk about before I let you go. Yeah. Uh, one, you are, I don't, I don't know if accomplished is the right word to use, but skillful magician. Massive. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how, A, where did you learn to do magic? And how, what, what would you say, me being a, not really having a lot of knowledge about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, how? Where would you say your level is at? I would say I'm pro. You're a pro. I musician. think I'm. I think I'm pro. Where did you learn? Did you go to school? You know, it's crazy. Everyone was like, "Man, did you go to school? Did you get?" I had a ditch school, dog. I had a ditch school to go learn this stuff. You know? What oh, I'm so saying? you started doing it when you were like a kid in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Street magic. Street magic, baby. I'm just joking. I started as a kid. I was 12, 13 years old when I first got interested in it. It was television. Uh, Specifically, I think it was ABC Family. They had a, a channel across cable that had on Wednesday nights, because I used to go visit my father on Wednesday, you know, hang out with him, and he, uh, he'd he have it on the t- TV. It was ABC Family, and it was World's Greatest Magicians. And I was, dude, I was lit. I was like, this is this is nuts. This little 12 year old was like freaking out about like doves coming out of this dude's freaking yes, it's hand. True. And Magic does exist. It does exist, dude. And then like there was segments of this guy named Matt King, comedy magic. He would teach you a trick every Wednesday. So I was like, I'm going to learn every trick he's teaching me every single Wednesday. And that's how I started. My dad 
my dad and my aunt actually grew to see that I was interested in magic. And for Christmas that year, they bought me a magic set. So Lance Burton Master Magician set. <laughs> Came with the VHS and everything. Was it cool stuff or was it whack? Uh, it was it corny was, stuff. Back then it was kind of cool. It was kind of corny, but it was still cool and it actually paved the way for me. I, I grew really interested in it and it was after school. Instead of me like going to hang out with some thugs, I was going to the library and trying to learn magic tricks. So are you a, are you a, a member of the Magic Castle? Yes, I've been a member. You know what's crazy? I've been a member of the Magic Castle. So you, you say if I got into a special school. And for, actually, so let me just explain if people yeah. don't know. So out in L.A., there's mm -hmm. this thing called the Magic Castle, and you have to be a member to go there. Also, invite you have to be in, invited, invited by, by a member. By, by a member, and it's basically... What is it, like the Mecca? It's the Mecca. I think it's the most prestigious magician's society. Yes, of, of magicians. So basically you go in this place and you have to dress up. You have to, there's a dress code and they have, you can eat, you can drink. drink and watch shows. Yeah, and then you, and you watch magicians just do awesome stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an old, old place and that place is the reason. I've only been once, but it was amazing. Well, we're going to have to go again then. Yeah. So... I'm excited. Done. I know I knew it. Now, now I know. Now you know. For sure. Now you know. We're gone. So it's done. What are you doing next week? We should actually go. All right. I'm, I'm free. If anybody wants to go, let's go. <laughs> you watch. We're going to get you. I got to be careful now. But um, no, I, I, you said if I went to school, but it's crazy. But the Magic Castle, private as it was, back when I was a kid, they used to let the public in for one day out of the year. Literally one, one day. And my dad used to get tickets through his job at the county of L.A., and he would take me and long story short, as short as I can make it, I saw a magician. Uh, his name was Alfonso. Not sure if he's still doing magic. Haven't, haven't, haven't kept touch with it, but I knew everything he was doing. And after the show, the magicians stay, they stay back and they say hi to everybody. Like, thank you for coming blah, blah, blah. As you're walking out the door and I 13 year old me, I'm like, yeah, that's so cool that you did this, 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 and this, and this, that's so cool. It looks so good. And he said, I remember he's like, if you saw it and it looked so good and you know what I was doing, I wasn't that good. So he said, hold on a second. And he, he, I, he held my hand, walked me over to the general manager, Michael Gringas at the time. And he said, this kid is something. He knows exactly what I did today. Tell him. And it was like some super culty, like, tell him. And I'm like, me and my dad are like, what? Tell you what? Yeah. yeah I'm like, what's going on? So he take me to the back room in the office. He's like, hey, Art. We want to tell you about this junior magicians program that we have and it's a very developing program that still goes on today and i tried out pretty much it's a junior program that meets up the first saturday of every month and they lecture you they bring in guest magicians to teach you stuff and give you tips and they feed you and they give you access to the magic castles library it was the most insane thing as as a young up-and-coming magician that was like fascinated by this art i was blown away so i had a tryout in front of the committee as it as it was pressure, very intense pressure. very scary intense thing and it was in front of the members that were there kids that were already there and i tried out and i got in i got a i got a i got a letter in the mail you saying, were you were 12 I was, I was about 13, 13 or 14 i think i was 13 going on 14 and so how I've, long you, were you there I was there. They they allowed you to be a junior member until you're, you're a full-fledged 21 and over member. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I turned 21, my first year was taken care of and I became a full-fledged member. 
And now, ever since then, I've been, a, I guess you can say I've been a member of the Magic Castle since I was 14. Do you ever go there to work? I haven't in a long time. I used to, but with my crazy schedule being nuts, I'm actually looking this year or this coming year to actually start doing it more. So you actually have a, a really cool backup plan. Yeah. Because you could be an old as fuck magician. magician. That, yeah. That's something, I always think about that. I'm like, certain jobs age well <laughs> and certain don't. You know, like headbanging, you know, in like... You know, behemoth when you're oh 79 might not be no. not my might not. But if work. I can mess with some cards and coins when I'm about 80, I'll, I'll definitely do that. And that's a passion that I've never let go of. And I'm gonna be honest with you, that's magic is probably the reason why I have had a head start in the industry, the music industry. It's just a little bit, you know, a little something. It's a little memorable, and it's helped me break ice and make friends. Can and, I ask you a question though? Yeah. So, I, do you know who Scott Adams is? He's yeah. the guy who invented Dilbert. Okay, and he he got all the, he got pretty even more famous rec- uh, recently because he predicted that Donald Trump would win the election because mm-hmm. he said Donald Trump uses uh, persuasion because uh, Scott Adams is an expert in um, hip- hypnosis. Uh-huh. So I want to know if, if is there a correlation between uh, magic and kind of and the and the idea of hypnosis and that you're actually it's about the technique, but it is also about understanding people. Yes. And I can persuade you to, it's even as simple. I mean, I'm talking smaller pictures here, smaller things, cards, you know, that's a, a very good start, but persuading you to think of something. I think that's very, it's very positive. It's but very, is it, is it positive? But here's, here's what kind of freaks me out about the whole Scott Adams thing hmm. is that there seems to be, a disconnection between like the the ethical nature or the kind of moral element of is it like if you have these skills mm-hmm. when is it okay to kind of manipulate people or or is it or is it even manipulation it's very much manipulation and it's kind of scary or is it just the fact that guess what in this world if you don't know <laughs> then that's on you that's <laughs> oh, terrible but it, honestly it's always been a, a trippy it's, I guess you can say a gift. Yeah. It's but tough. It's a gift, but you, but it also can be taught. Yeah. And I think it's not that, but most people, it's, it's almost a skill that we don't even know that maybe you should know, not even to do it to other people, but yeah. so that you don't get, <laughs> yeah. end up being yeah. it's persuaded very, or manip- it's manipulated. It's a very psychological, terrifying thing. I mean, I know I've read books on like the CIA doing stuff like that and like, teaching bringing in magicians and like helping manipulate minds and like that's a real thing it's a real thing i mean rumor has it houdini was uh, a spy for the for america like back in during those those times in the early world war time and because he was back then you couldn't travel whenever you felt like it so he was able to and just being sneaky and manipulative well you like do you know anything about the uh the pickup culture like, um, you know, that guy mystery that had that pickup artist show. Like, uh, so, anyway, so there was, there was this book, uh, by Neil Strauss who uh-huh. wrote the Motley Crue book and Marilyn Manson book. He wrote for Rolling Stone, uh, called the game the, mm-hmm. you know, and he penetrated the pickup artist community and the, in, in LA and the main figure was this guy mystery and throughout the entire pickup art it's basically like nerdy guys who can't get laid mm-hmm. who learn these techniques on how to pick up women but I read uh, that. but there's a big uh, cross section where they learn magic a because it's a great gambit to pick up women but it also 
but it also teaches you about it's this idea of of creating um illusion you know mm -hmm. and 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 also the pickup artist game is kind of about manipulating yeah. uh women specifically but there is some kind of correlation between that i don't know it's interesting to me it's i I mean, it's like I can't say that in my day back in the day that it hasn't worked. <laughs> I mean, let's oh, be real. I, trust me, brother. I've seen you do it. All right. <laughs> oh my god. And I'm like this motherfucker. Oh. His skills, I don't. <laughs> oh man, it's. I mean, the hands quicker than the eye, but those days are over. Yeah, I feel but, you. But you know, but it's a. Uh, it's honestly, yeah, man. Magic, music, magic. It's, it's come a long way for me, and I think. Uh, that magic was one of the reasons why I have so many different skills yeah. you know, and it helped me develop other skills too. So, and what, one last thing. So yeah. you, you do have a new business, a clothing line. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Can um, you, can you tell the people about, about this, this absolutely, new venture? Man. It's a, it's currently, I mean, I'm, I had a soft launch this earlier this year and it's a, uh, now in the rebuilding process, I got I'm planning for the, the new year, but for those who know me and for those who don't know me, but I'm a very massive baseball fan massive i grew up playing baseball strictly baseball i heard you're a real bass head i'm a bass head <laughs> i do love bass music too so give me that drum and bass and dubstep i got you but um i'm a big baseball fan big dodger fan but it was it was a it was a thing that really like it was the most memorable thing as a child you know making friendship making friends and and long time lifelong friends from baseball and being on baseball teams and i think that it's gone now. So there's not a lot of many kids playing baseball anymore and like building those longtime relationships that, and memories, you know, being outside and actually doing stuff outside versus uh, a laptop or iPad or YouTube, you know? So um, I started, I started this brand to show my appreciation of the game and the lifestyle of baseball, but at the same time delivering, stuff that I like to wear, you know, like I, I love streetwear. I love obey. I love their movement. I love art. I love, um, photography. I love everything that there is to do to combine this sport that is America's pastime and survived world wars and has inspired a lot of different things. But I started this brand and, and I'm it's calling called, it base Lords okay. and a B A S E L O R D S as one word. But, um, the slogan that we have is baseball is our religion and it's a lifestyle. You know, baseball isn't just a game to me. It's a complete lifestyle and there's other people like it. And I want those people to join me in this like excursion of really trying to bring back the heart and soul and the rawness of what baseball was, because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of not saying it's wussing out right now, but it kind of is. They're trying to make it very generic for the, the masses totally understandable i want to keep the game alive but i also want to be able to show that this game was very raw at one point and very like tough you know you had to like bend over backwards to make it on a team and a lot of struggle that went through it so what well, i i think you know just from my perspective being a basketball fan primarily and nba and the the contrast between the between the two is just where it sits in the culture yeah right like you can take the 20th most famous basketball player and he might be more recognizable and have more uh he might be more well known in pop culture than mm -hmm. maybe the top two or three baseball players yeah I, mean, I think that's kind of changed with uh aaron judge oh yeah he's like seems to be like so he's, he's like the lebron of, of yeah of, 
of basketball teams. The, like he's they, the fu- he's the future. Well, he, he has that he has that thing. Just, just that, he has everything. Yeah, and they, they, he's the he's the he's a superstar, man. Yeah, he's a superstar. But um, and I think the way the sport is perceived is being non-progressive, meaning mm-hmm. that it's so steeped in tradition that they're not willing to kind of uh, alter the game to fit. A, uh, an ever-changing audience. True. Whereas young people today, just they don't have the attention spans. And, and whereas like the NBA, every year they change the rules yeah. to speed the game up, mm-hmm. to make it quicker, to to make sure there's less timeouts, there's less, there's more free-flowing yeah. action. More in and and the, and the truth is, anytime you do something that changes something, traditionalists are always going to be hurt. But tradition is kind of baked into the culture of baseball yeah it's just it's more so the uh i think they're doing they're doing a good job for like watching it televising it i think the changes that they're making are great but i think what you'll never lose on baseball is being at a game you don't even have to like baseball that's the that's good and bad but good get people to the park you know get people interested in the game but just being there with homies having a beer a hot dog a vegan hot dog if you're vegan whatever just be there and just enjoy the atmosphere because they have vegan hot dogs some parks do okay yeah that's good to hear are you vegan no my girlfriend's vegan respect so, so i have to uh it has to be on my mind and, gotcha. and, and, and that would be more um <laughs> alluring to there's ve- there's vegan options i think in the park in most parks nowadays it's 2017 so but yeah man i i work so where can people check out uh this brand baselords.co so baselords co um yeah go there I, I i mean the fall i'm trying to i'm trying to really start getting the stuff out there and if you love baseball and you like the rawness of the game and it's very black and white very clean very traditional but modern you know and i hooked you up with some stuff hope you like the way it fits and it's it's good times man it's good stuff and it's developing right now so right on man well, yeah but everything else man everything else is is good and thank you for having me and of course man let me just, shout out my my quick little this, story this has been really awesome thank you thanks again for the shirt thanks for coming down here always I hope everyone else that is uh listening to this interview has enjoyed my time with arthur <laughs> aka art aka the magic man the magic mystery aka the indigenous master of all that he surveys <laughs> trying to do like a thousand things but thank you everybody for the support so yeah good can i just plug this winds of plague stuff because it's huge right now plug it please baby you know what maybe we might play might even play a song i on, think on here. i think you should the the song's called never alone that we just released and it's off the upcoming blood of my enemy <laughs> just good. like your your names i'm telling you john came up with a good name that's good now i don't have to uh i don't have to to actually say the information in the song no yeah so. blood of my blood of my enemy is the name of the track uh the name of the record it's out on october 27th on um e1 good fight and you can pre-order it at winds of plague and grab the new prong record which is out now right so, on yeah check this shit out guys peace appreciate you
enjoyed that conversation with Art Cruz and that new jam from Winds of Plague from their album Blood of the Enemy or I'm sorry Blood of My Enemy that's Blood of My Enemy because I said them shit them lyrics are hard man we, we come we coming at you punch you in the face uh yeah that was really cool hope you guys enjoyed it I really enjoyed it plus you know I don't get to talk to that many magicians so I, I, I want to learn how to be a magician in my spare time you know, so I don't have to, you know, pay taxes or, you know, look both ways when crossing the road. You know, I want I want magic to solve pretty much all my problems. But thank you guys for listening. Please go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, rate and review the X-Man show. If you want to sponsor the X-Man show, hit me up. Send me some money. I'll talk about your products, man. And I'll tell you about the X-Men fans. We buy all that shit. We're we're all in the 1%. We're the 1% of the 1%. Listen to this show, you know. So you got what you got to say. You got guitars. We'll sell them, you know. You got uh, supplements. Everyone has supplements. Joe Rogan, supplements. Alex Jones, supplements. Tim Ferriss, supplements. Doc Coyle, I don't have no supplements, but you know, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll make some. And they'll work real good and well, too. Good and well. All right. So that's what I'm here for. Here for you guys. Anyway, I'm sick of this shit. Mamba out.
This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. <laughs> 